You're listening to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy. Today, we'll be talking about phonemic awareness. We've received a lot of questions about this topic, but one in particular stood out to us. Should phonemic awareness be taught in the dark or with print? Let's dive in to learn more together. Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy Literacy Podcast. Today, we cannot wait to dig into the topic of phonemic awareness. We receive a lot of questions about this, and we see a lot of buzz about it on social media. Yeah, so today we have a really great guest. We have Marjorie Botari, and she is the Director of Professional Development at Hagerty. She's a former teacher, former reading specialist, reading coach, elementary administrator. She wore all the hats (laughs) (laughs) to get where she is. And, you know, we know that there's decades of research about how important phonemic awareness is, and Marjorie's going to talk to us today all about you know, what, what are the kinds of things we do in the classroom? What's, what's instruction look like? And, and we know it's not necessarily settled science. And <laughs> so we'll talk all about the different debates that are out there about how to do it best. Yeah. Well, Marjorie, we're so glad you're here. Welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thank you. Well, I'm hoping you could start off by sharing a little bit about phonemic awareness. What is it? How about just a definition for us here? Yeah. Start off simple. I think that's great. It seems simple. It seems simple, exactly. But, you know, those, uh, we often say those pH terms, they're very easily confused because they are so closely related and they do all it, they enjoy a reciprocal relationship. So it is nice to just kind of define that term phonemic awareness. When we refer to phonemic awareness, we are talking about that understanding that spoken words are made up of individual sounds. And we call those individual sounds phonemes. So as we think of phonemic awareness, we want students to be able to isolate the sounds they hear in words, blend sounds together, that's going to transfer to decoding, segment, I can hear a word and I can segment it into those individual sounds, those individual phonemes, or even manipulate by adding, deleting, and substituting sounds. Now, phonemic awareness can be a little bit tricky because all of those phonemes, when we speak, they're co-articulated. Speaking phonemes. So really, (laughs) it is important to provide this instruction for our learners, right? Our language is made up of individual sounds. That is so neat. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I was like, can you tell us about the other one then? Yes. Because like, I, I have to look this up sometimes still. I'm like phonemic awareness and then there's phonological we, awareness. Right? And I, I, yes. I get in my head and I get I like forget which one's mm-hmm. which. <laughs> and again, it makes sense. They're so closely related. Now, phonemic awareness, when we refer to those individual sounds, that's often confused with the term phonics. Now, phonics, is going to enjoy a reciprocal relationship with phonemic awareness. But it is important for us to understand they're not the same thing. So as you heard me say, phonemic awareness refers to that understanding that spoken words are made up of individual sounds. It's in that phonics instruction that we would provide a visual representation of those sounds. We show letters or graphemes to represent the sounds that we hear in language. 
while these two do enjoy a reciprocal relationship, you heard me say when we blend sounds together, that's what we do when we read words or when we segment, that's what we do when we spell words. They are different in that we can hear 44 sounds in the English language, and there's over 200 ways to represent those 44 sounds. So this phonics piece, I always say it's so much more complex, but what you'll always find is what is always a component of our phonics instruction is phonemic awareness. Students need to be able to blend. They need to be able to segment. They need to be able to manipulate to be able to read and spell new words. And we often kind of jump right into this phonics piece. And we need to ensure this phonemic awareness piece is really strong as if our students are going to be successful. If we're showing them letters and saying, you know, letter is A, sound is A, but they don't understand our language is made up of sounds, that print is not going to make much sense to them. Yeah. It's so funny, Marjorie, because I have I have a four year old who's in preschool, and so you know they do they do the traditional like he comes home and they've been doing letters, <laughs> right? They've been practicing writing the letters, which is fine. Um, but you know we do a lot at home where you know we'll just like oh you know pop starts with p. Yes. What else starts with p? Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and he has no idea that that's a p. I think he's starting to make mm-hmm. a connection, but you know it it doesn't matter, right? He just he's just hearing that first exactly. sound, right? So that's the phonemic awareness. That is exactly it. And you can do that so early on, Melissa, like you just said, you know, Mm -hmm. early on, we can say, listen to these sounds. This begins with that sound. So then when they do learn that the letter P can represent, then it's like, oh, I can write a P here. So building that awareness of our, the internal structure of language as early on as possible is going to set our students up for success. Marjorie, is that why I hear a lot about nonsense word fluency as being a predictor of future reading ability? Can you talk a bit about that? Yes. Is that is that why with that, like, I'm assuming if you could sub in some and play with language is what it. I think you're describing. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And that is a phenomenal question, Lori. So we want to use nonsense word fluency. We don't want to teach nonsense word reading, but we want to use it as a measure to really check in to see if students are applying those phonemic awareness skills that we talked about. Are they truly decoding this word? Are they able to blend sounds together? Do they have that letter sound knowledge? So that is exactly that reciprocal relationship we're talking about when we talk about phonemic awareness and phonics. What often happens is if our students don't have this understanding of phonemic awareness, nobody's clued them into our language having this internal structure, but we're showing print and we're showing words, what do they start to do? They start to memorize these words as whole visual units. And it can be really tricky working with young learners because they're seeing a lot of the same words, right? A lot of the text that they're reading has pictures or context to really help them read or what I say is, you know, guess or memorize words as whole visual units. Mm -hmm. And so they can kind of look like readers. And so what nonsense reader or nonsense fluency does is really ensure that our students have these foundational skills to apply these strategies to unknown words. And that Mm -hmm. way we can really check in on these foundational skills. Yeah, that's so helpful. So it's a measure for what they what they really know because it's not something that they've ever seen before. Potentially, it's a, exactly. it's a made up word. Exactly. That's so. I actually just saw that question on um, a Facebook group, and the answers were all over the place for it. Like, should I teach nonsense words, or is it just assessing? Them? Yeah. And 
There was definitely. Some I, I'm sure there that. was. And, and what I, <laughs> is there a question that there's not debate around? That is so true. And I think it's good. I think That's it's so healthy to have conversations. I think we just always want to be respectful to remember that we're also working with human beings and what may work for one child, you know, may not work for the other child, but we, we want to stay settled in the research and what we know how our brain learns to read. Now, yeah. the only way that I would ever say, yes, let's teach nonsense words is if I'm teaching multisyllabic words. I want to then teach a student because what, you're actually not even teaching nonsense words. You're teaching blending. You're teaching you, this, the, the active decoding process. But I might put a nonsense word in front of a student to read and then put another nonsense word and I might be able to combine those to make a real word. And so what I really want to do there in my teaching is show students, even if it's not a word, you know, by visual memory, again, we don't want that to happen. Proficient readers process every phoneme in a word. But what I want them to recognize is you may need a lot of unknown words, but th these are the strategies that you apply when you're trying to decode an unknown word. That would be the purpose of putting nonsense words in front of kiddos without it being an actual assessment. Right. And it's nice to do that. Then the end product there is still a real exactly. word. Exactly. And, <laughs> and they see the importance of it, right? Yeah, they, yes. exactly. All right, Marjorie. So I wanted to ask you about the Hagerty curriculum mm -hmm. and just, you know, what does the Hagerty curriculum actually, you know, what, what, what do you, what does, what do people do if they have the Hagerty curriculum to address some of these things we just talked yeah, about? Yeah. So I always like to just start by explaining that Dr. Hagerty was actually a first grade teacher and he wrote the yellow book when he was a classroom teacher because of all those things we talked about. We know the importance of teaching those letters and sounds. We know the importance of our phonics instruction. But often when we look at our phonics curriculum or our core series curriculum, that phonemic awareness is really just a small component of our instruction. And there's not a lot of repetition in practice to really ensure that our students become proficient with hearing and working with sounds. So what the Hegarty curriculum does is it teaches early basic and complex phonemic awareness skills in a really short amount of time. We say eight to 12 minutes is really the amount of time that it should take. And it should be used as an oral and auditory warm-up to our phonics instruction, cluing students into this internal structure of language, right? Listen, we hear this language. We can isolate sounds and words. We can blend sounds together. We can take them apart. We can even change them to make new words. And when our students get this practice each and every day, it becomes really automatic for them which is what we want, because as I said, we can hear 44 sounds in the English language. There's over 200 ways to spell those 44 sounds. If I can blend automatically, if I can segment automatically, if I can manipulate, where does my cognitive load go then? To the many different ways I can represent those sounds with print. Also, as we think about spelling, oftentimes where that phoneme is located is going to inform our spelling. So our goal with this curriculum is truly to be a supplement to really get our students, give all students access to all of these skills each and every day. And the beauty of that is it's, again, giving students opportunities for repetition and practice. It's casting that wide net because we know there's no classroom that has all students with the same exact need, right? So if I'm going to only teach two or three skills, whole group, I'm not going to meet all of my students' needs, right? But if I'm teaching early, basic, and complex skills, I'm meeting a variety of learners' needs. Now, some of my kiddos, they might not be able to respond right away. But what's happening is they're 
building that understanding, that awareness, our language is made up of parts. And then as they get this practice each and every day, they'll start to be able to engage in these lessons. Some kiddos will be building that proficiency right away, and some may come to us already being able to do this work. Well, they're building that automaticity and they're feeling good about themselves for eight to 12 minutes of the day. And they're, you know, a leader in that. And the lessons do become more complex. So we do start at the phonological awareness level. That's a pH term we didn't mention yet. That's really working with those larger units of language. We only work with syllables and phonemes in the yellow manual, but with kindergarten and pre-K, we do start with those larger units of language to help our students understand the concepts of blending, segmenting, and manipulating with those easier units. And then we'll eventually get to those phonemes. Can I give my four-year-old example of that potentially? Tell me if it is. Yeah. But yesterday, yesterday he we were he had a lollipop, and then he he remembered that his friend's name was Poppy. Yes. And he heard the pop and poppy. Yeah. And then he was like, and then he's like popcorn. And I was like, yeah. yeah. So he's like, he located that syllable, and he's able to like, and he's manipulating. He's he's moving around that syllable in a word. So that's that phonological awareness, right? He was able to recognize that syllable, which is, which is great. Um, you know, (laughs) and we do want students to work at the syllable level as well. I know there's a lot of talk about phonemes and only phonemes, and, um, maybe we'll talk about this later. I don't know if we, um, but syllable level work is important as well. And Marjorie, did you already touch on use Hagerty as like full group, not small group? And yeah. On purpose. On purpose. Yep. We say we want tier one whole group instruction with a unison response. And again, like the purpose of that is really just to allow all students to have access to these skills each and every day. And it's really great. It creates a routine. Anybody who's taught Hegarty really knows how many of the students love it. It's playing with language. It's playing with sounds. And you're setting them up for success. They know the routine. They know the expectation. They get to practice these skills every day. And for our learners that need more time, it's really low risk for them because they don't feel that pressure of being called on. Now, do we want to target two or three phonemic awareness skills as we differentiate our instruction? Absolutely. Let's do that in small group. Now I can identify specifically what this group of students needs needs are, and I can target just two or three skills. But as we think of tier one, whole group instruction, phonemic awareness is too important. We want to make sure all students have access to these skills. And it's something that can be done in a really quick way. Yeah. You know what it made me think about is um, not like a linear approach, but when you were describing it more of um, a spiraling approach where you're reviewing some skills that some students might already know while some students might need those the first time and, and so forth. Right. And it's just coming around in a spiral so students are exposed to those through time and practice and and re- repetition. So that's 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 what I was thinking about and how that like really relates to what I read a lot about high quality materials. Yeah. So. And that's a, a great way to describe <laughs> it. Exactly that. All right, I'm going to turn it to Melissa to take us take us into a hot topic territory. Hot topic territory. (laughs) Can't wait. Now, but Margie, we, you know, Lori and I have been doing a lot of research and probably even I've been doing more. I was a sixth grade teacher. So a lot of this is new to me. I did not, I did not teach this Mm -hmm. when I was a a teacher. Um, But I think, I think everyone is, uh, maybe I shouldn't say everyone. I would say majority of people are in agreement that phonemic awareness is really important Mm -hmm. in learning how to read. And I think there's debates in the, 
very specifics yes. <laughs> of how it's done. <laughs> um, so, you know, we, we, we found a few things and I'll just, I'll just list them now and then we can mm-hmm. kind of dive into them. You don't have to address them all at this moment. Um, but the kinds of things that we've been seeing come up are, do you, you know, do you do phonemic awareness with letters or without letters? Um, do you, with, with print, you mean, right? Print letters with, with print letters. Yes, correct. Um, do we do advanced phonemic awareness manipulation tasks? Should we be doing things like you you mentioned already, deletion and replacement? Are those necessary or not? Um, and also, like, is it a prerequisite to reading? Like, do we, do you have to master these phonemic awareness skills before you let kids start the reading process? So those are the kinds of yeah. things I've seen as like big ones of, you know. There's there's definitely some opinions yes. <laughs> out there. So I think we just want to dive yeah, into them, Yeah, let's right? do it. And I I mean, I think it's great that this is a conversation because for so long, phonemic awareness wasn't even part of the discussion. Um, yes. <laughs> so I think as we think about all of these things, it's great to be asking questions and digging in. But at the same time, we want to be really practical and not be splitting hairs about these teeny tiny things that truly take maybe a minute or two of our instruction. If there's any opportunity for this to be beneficial for students, we want to do it. Like, so let, I always start with that. Is this going to harm my student? Can it possibly help them? Yes. Okay. It takes me a minute. I'm going to do it. But that one question that you kind of ended with is, should we wait for these skills to be secure before we move on to working with print? Absolutely not. As I said, print is more complex, right? So what we want to think about is the scope and sequence that we're using What we can do in phonemic awareness, though, is work with any words, any sounds, because we're not yet bringing them into print. And we want to tune students into all of the phonemes of the English language. We know how important it is to become sensitive to the phonemes of a language. We know that as we think about English language learners, if they haven't heard certain phonemes, it's harder for them to hear those in our language. So we want to jump into phonemic awareness early on and teach these skills again as an oral and auditory warm-up. And then as I think about my phonics instruction, where are my students on that scope and sequence? What am I teaching them? Are we working on short vowels? Are we working on advanced vowels? Then I'm going to bring those specific sounds into print, targeting just two or three phonemic awareness skills. Let me show you how this connects to print. Again, building that automaticity with those phonemic awareness skills, now I can really put that cognitive load on that spelling pattern or on that pattern that I'm teaching. As far as manipulation goes, I know I've, I've been reading a whole lot about this, right? We've all, we all read about the importance of manipulation. It started to become part of our practice, and now we're hearing, oh, wait, no, it's not important. Again, that's really where I, I struggle with the time that we're putting into splitting these hairs versus the time that we could actually be teaching students and how busy teachers' days are, that they do not have the time to be sitting there going, wait, you told me to do this. Wait, no, now I'm not doing that. When we think about (laughs) reading, we manipulate. So many words are different by just one sound, right? And I see this, I former sixth grade reading teacher, right, Melissa? So I know exactly what you're talking about when you're like, I'm like, this was not on my radar. I did not (laughs) think that there was a possibility that students didn't understand words were made up of sounds. But I actually had many kids that thought reading was reading, memorizing words as whole visual units. And so when I think about my word callers as as a reading specialist for third, fourth and fifth graders, what did I see them do? Try to guess words. Right. And I would put words like horse, house, hose on the board and watch them read those inaccurately. Right. Because they looked a lot alike. If we can say to students, 
So many words are different by just one sound. Sometimes we can add a sound to a word to make a new word. Sometimes we see a word, we can take a sound away and we make a new word. Sometimes we can change a sound to make a new word. I don't understand how we would think that's not beneficial, right? So I'll often say, say fame. Add, ooh, after, what's the new word? Flame. So if I can do that quickly and automatically through the air, and I also am receiving explicit phonics instruction, that is going to allow me to become a more automatic decoder of print. That's where that fluency and automaticity comes in. So, you know, I really do think that is an important component I think where we don't want to get tripped up is saying my students have to do that before we're working with print. We want to show them. We never want phonemic awareness to just be taught in isolation and say, oh, that's it. We're done with reading instruction, right? We really do want to make sure we're making that connection for students to see how this can help them as readers and spellers. So yeah. I, I feel like I've talked about my son a lot today. But, but this is perfect <laughs> for her. <laughs> yeah. But, and this isn't even about... Um, anything about reading, but it, um, it reminds me a lot of his basketball practice because he's only four. And so, you know, (laughs) the four-year-olds aren't great at a lot of the skills for basketball, but they still let them play that game. Uh, you know, they, they spend about half the time where they, they do all the, they they do drills, Mm -hmm. they do dribbling, they do passing, they do shooting. Um, and you don't keep the kids out because they can't dribble very well yet. I mean, no one would really be playing, Mm -hmm. um, but they let them still play this game as best they can, right? So they, they have these like practice, you know, doing it. And so, I don't know, it just reminds me of, you know, that warm up, like you said, it's just, it's just a warm up to practice some of these skills that are going to be helpful when they get to the, the print. Yeah, I think that's a perfect example of that, right? That practice, that repetition, so you can apply it. And, and I always just say like, think and keep getting and, exactly, at it. and becoming more automatic and it becomes something that eventually will become really natural. The phonemic awareness instruction, it's a means to an end. I I always like to say, think of the bottom of the reading rope, right? Like when we look at that, there are three strands of that rope. When we look at research of why students struggle to become automatic decoders of print, it consistently comes back to phonological and phonemic awareness. If that strand is missing, they're not going to become automatic decoders of print. I don't want to encourage people not to spend one to two minutes <laughs> teaching these skills that are going to enjoy a reciprocal relationship with that print. Um, but that application is really what you think of when you think of that site, site recognition portion. Our students need that application. So I would say, well, they might start out, you kind of see them all on their own. That's like the drills that you're talking about, Melissa. That's that explicit instruction. Let me teach you how to do this. But it doesn't stay off on its own. It all becomes intertwined. It all works together. And it's really important to make that connection. Yeah. Marjorie, can you share a little bit about the time on these things? Like, what is the time frame for what we're talking about here? Because I think it might be a bit stunning. (laughs) Yeah. So, again, if you're focusing on, you know, one, two, two, three phonemic awareness skills, it's really taking you one to two minutes. If you're teaching a full lesson, tier one whole group, it's eight to 12. So when you think about, I especially as we think of tier one instruction, I know like for a while in education, it was like nothing should be tier one, right? Like we all, all need small group differentiated instruction. And it sounds so good, but when you're trying to put that into practice in reality, like it's not possible to have small group instruction all day long 
And if we're it's insanity it's is what it is. It's exhausting. Yeah. The time it's like exhausting. Marjorie was on our last podcast. Episode. I know. This we just is what we talked did about. you? <laughs> yeah, but when this comes out, it won't have been the last one. Well, <laughs> it'll be it'll be a few back, but yeah. We'll link it. But I, I mean, I remember trying to do that as a classroom teacher. And and yes, we want some differentiated instruction, but if we're doing small groups all day anyway, how much instruction are students really getting? They're working independently more often. So again, it's just right. like this tier one. I am giving access in a, and I'm truly differentiating my instruction when I teach a whole group lesson because again, depending on my students' needs and the different levels of phonemic awareness, I'm meeting a variety of needs. It's eight to 12 minutes. So eight to 12 minutes if I'm teaching all of the skills, really one to two minutes if I'm, I'm targeting a couple of skills. That's really helpful. Yeah. And I think one thing that we talked about in our pre-call is that it is helping reduce students' cognitive load for yes. future reading tasks. Mm-hmm. So that's really important too. Is there anything you want to say about that? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, again, when we think about the 44 phonemes and the number of ways that we can represent those sounds with print. If our students can do this work quickly and automatically, that's when we can really spend that cognitive load on that print, which is again, more complex. So when we think about that fluency, when we think about that automaticity, being able to complete these tasks orally and through the air quickly and automatically is going to transfer to that print. Another thing I always just kind of like to say as we think of phonemic awareness and phonics, if your students cannot blend sounds through the air and then you're putting a word in front of them and they're reading (laughs) their word, right? They're not really decoding that word. They've had it memorized. So again, like that is that importance of building these skills to that proficiency to allow it to transfer to print. And again, that's where this is a means to an end. We do want students to become so automatic with this that it is no longer part of our instruction. So as we think about, you know, some of the changes that we've even made within our curriculum of we've reduced the number of weeks in a first grade in our first grade curriculum. We used to have 35 weeks. Now we have 24. Right. What we also did do is keep six weeks for optional instruction because we know there's some first grade classrooms that need more. Um, So we've also brought in that phoneme graphing connection look, we just blended sounds through the air. Now let me show you some print that represents those sounds. But I will tell you, when we were doing that, do you know how challenging that was? Because when you work with print, it has to be that same pattern. When you're doing it through the air, it can be any pattern. It's the sounds. It's the sounds. And so when we're like, okay, let's bring it into print. Well, no, that one has a different, we spell A differently here. We spell A differently here. So trying to find that common spelling pattern can be really tricky. So again, that's why we want the phonemic awareness to be automatic because that print is way more complex and that's where we can really put the heavy load on the kiddos. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It is so much more complex. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking like all, all the different ways A spelled, A says A. <laughs> right? It's, there's so many different ways and then you get into multisyllabic words and then there's a schwa. So it's like, well, you know, when we say it, it's, it, it sounds this way, but... <laughs> And it depends where you right. are. <laughs> your language variation yes. might change. How. Absolutely. <laughs> I know we mentioned syllables earlier. Mm-hmm. Did you want to come back to those? Yes. So I know another hot topic right now is getting to the phoneme level right away. Like we shouldn't be teaching phonological awareness. It's the phoneme level that's important. And yes, the phoneme level is where we connect it to print. Absolutely. That's our goal. But When we say we should only be teaching at the phoneme level, there's a couple of things that come to mind. First, 
I cannot tell you. So we changed our assessments. They used to start at the phonological awareness level for kindergarten, and we changed it to the phoneme level because we wanted to measure the same thing throughout the year, measure growth. Mm -hmm. I cannot tell you how many kindergarten teachers reached out to us so upset because they said their students, it's the beginning of the year in kindergarten. They were not able to blend and segment phonemes, right? They couldn't hear those individual sounds. So it's this beginning of the year where you're establishing relationships with students. You want them to feel good. You want them to feel comfortable in school. And now you have kids that are upset or in tears or feeling, you know, not great about something they maybe feel like they should be able to do because they cannot yet hear those co-articulated phonemes, right? And it's just like, we don't tell students we need to multiply. So we're not teaching addition. We're just getting right to multiplication, right? So there is a need for some of our learners to hear these larger units of language first so they can understand the concepts of blending and segmenting and manipulating. Because if I say to students, listen to these two small words, cupcake, what's the word? Blend it together, it's cupcake. cupcake. That's so much easier to blend than me saying, listen to these sounds. Uh, what's the word? right? We might have students forget the k and they might just say up. They might get those phonemes out of order. So starting with those larger units allows them to, again, understand and have success with the skill. Then we'll get to the phoneme level. But syllables are needed in our language as well, right? When we read and spell multisyllabic words, we're not reading phoneme by phoneme, right? So, I mean, oh my goodness, you want to talk about like slow and labored reading <laughs> or that cognitive load and remembering all the sounds. Yeah. We teach students to read multisyllabic words in chunks. And when we spell multisyllabic words, we segment into syllables and then phonemes. My, my daughter's in third grade. She's working with multisyllabic words right now. And I watch that girl spell and I'm like, Molly, <laughs> break it into syllables first. Because when she's listening <laughs> for just phonemes, she starts to leave out a complete syllable, right? Because right. she can do it. It's but then as many. she, yes, it's too much. Break it into syllables first. So that I, there is importance in working with that. I think I want to just like, I think you already touched on this, but I'm just going to like ask you to put a stamp on it maybe. But I don't think we actually said this, like this term, the idea of phonemic awareness in the mm, dark, Yeah, <laughs> um, which is, I, I think I learned that term more about like how to remember what yes. phonemic awareness is. Like you could mm -hmm. do it in the exactly. dark <laughs> because it's without, without print. Um, but I just want you like, just, just so we have our listeners leave and don't, don't think, yes, it's only, yeah. Yeah. That's all you need to do is no, don't no. worry about that. And um, oh my goodness, <laughs> we say, like, Stamp please it. do not, it's not enough, right? It's one component and I'll always come back to the rope. It's one component of your literacy instruction. It's just, again, it is an important component. We don't want to miss it, but it it is not only done in the dark and exactly, Melissa, that's like the perfect explanation. I think, I think it truly did start this phonemic awareness in the dark is to help students understand the differences between phonemic awareness and phonics. I don't think anybody was like, Shut off all the lights. Everybody close your eyes. You cannot <laughs> see these, these letters. Um, but again, it's that, that point of I can say any word. I can say any sound, even if my students don't yet know how to represent these sounds with print. And we can still engage in these skills. And then in my explicit phonics instruction, I am going to target specific graphemes to represent specific sounds, that's where it'll become more narrowed. But the whole purpose of phonemic awareness is to work with phonics. It enjoys a reciprocal relationship. We need them both.
we need to teach them both. Can you t- talk a little more about like, so if I'm in a, my explicit phonics instruction part, I, how, how would I as a teacher take some of the skills yeah. that happen in the Hagerty mm-hmm. lesson or any phonemic awareness doesn't have to be Hagerty, yeah. any <laughs> phonemic awareness instruction you're doing. Like what might I take from what they're learning through just the auditory into the yeah letters. so if you're using hand motions or alconin boxes or anything like that during phonemic awareness you can bring that into your phonics instruction to help students see that connection so oftentimes mm. you know if we're blending you might just have with phonemic awareness you might just have three boxes for three phonemes and it's just the boxes you know i can say it what's the word chip and then during phonics instruction i'm going to bring that alconin box back and i'm going to say i and then write the letters ch and say look at that two letters but only one sound it's going in one sound box right and now i'm going to represent the sounds we hear with the letters and we'll blend to decode and read the word um again hand motions we use a roller coaster hand motion for those medial sounds Oftentimes when we're looking at student writing, you can see the sounds they can hear and the sounds they're not yet able to hear. Early writers might have that first and final sound mapped to print, but that tricky vowel middle sound is missing. That's when I'll say, let's do some extra roller coaster hand motions when you come to me with small group, <laughs> right? We're, we're spelling a word. Let's listen for that medial or vowel sound. Or let's chop the sound, if we're spelling, let's say a word and chop the word into all the sounds we hear. Now we can spell it. How many sounds did we hear? We heard three sounds. I I go further. I make my students then draw a line for each sound, and then we map each sound to print, which, again, is really great when we're teaching digraphs or vowel teams, really helping students see that letters can work together to represent a sound. But as we think of phonemic awareness and phonics, again, that blending, the parts to whole, we say the parts, we blend them together. That's a skill that transfers to decoding. So when you're reading with students, you want to remind them, you can blend these sounds together. Sometimes students like to guess, I was just, I was lucky enough to be teaching a lesson um, in some classrooms in California and I was working, it was with a fourth or fifth grade classroom and we were reading a book and the student, the word was spot, but the student read stop right? They look Mm. a lot alike, don't they? Right? I knew this is an older learner that has really learned to rely on visual memory. And that is really tricky because a lot of words look alike. that's a word you (laughs) see everywhere because of stop Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And, you know, I tried to like, I said, let's look at those sounds again. They kept saying stop. I covered up the word and I said, listen to these sounds. Spot. What's the word? Spot. Great. You can say those sounds. So now touch each sound. And so they see that connection when we're reading, we're blending those sounds. Right. And again, that's the same thing for segmenting. That's why you chop and then draw a line for each sound. Now we can represent these sounds with print. Yeah. And I didn't even think about that for spelling. That's like, I mean, now that you say it, it seems very obvious yeah, well, but <laughs> that you segment to spell. But it's, you know, Melissa, but it's not, right? Like we think, oh yeah, that makes sense when we hear it. But I mean, again, I always say undergrad did not prepare me very well to teach the students. So no, I wasn't like, yeah. oh yeah, you know, you hear it and you're like, yeah, but did we ever explicitly learn that as educators? And are we explicitly helping our students understand that? Like this is not a game of visual memory. I mean, spelling is the window. No, spelling is the window into their brain. I think spelling and and fluency, Mm -hmm. like oral reading fluency is is the window into their brain and how they're 
they're reading and spelling or they're reading and then digesting what they're learning in terms of foundational skills in their brain. Exactly. And that's it. And I always say, when you look at a student's writing, you know, if they have the a word like with all the right letters, but it's not in any kind of phonetic order, that is a child that's trying to remember what the word looks like, right? There is no phonemic awareness being applied there. We need to teach that. Mm-hmm. So even if it's an older learner, we need to teach that. And I just, I don't remember suggested passwords. I don't know if you guys remember like, that. That's what's happening when we say to students, you just have to remember we're at this whole visual unit. So you just have to remember the letter right. order. There's nothing anchoring. Right. So we always want it to come back to the sound. But I think yeah. the opposite of that is like, I, I forget who I was talking to, but someone who is, you know, they they had a student who was spelling dress with a J mm-hmm. instead of a D. And I was like, I was like, I actually think that's kind of awesome because you know they're hearing the right sound, yes. right? Even though, yeah, so that's, that's not right. Name. And that's why spelling is so good because it, when we look at students writing, it gives us phonemic awareness and phonics information. So I know mm-hmm. this student can hear the sounds. Now I need to teach them explicitly how to represent these sounds. I really need to talk right. about that TR and DR blend because those are so tricky. All right. So Marjorie, we're going to end with, um, we had a listener question that we were hoping you would help us with, um, but we think it's a pretty cool question. And I think I've I've seen other ones that are like it. So I'll just read it. Um, She said she has a first grade student that reads at a third grade level. She's a high decoder and high comprehender. She, however, has a really difficult time with phonemic awareness tasks. Is there research that they could read to explain um, to help meet their needs? I think the question really is more like, do you, do you need to go mm-hmm. back to phonemic awareness tasks? Should you? Should you not? What, what needs to happen in this case? And I see this question a lot with older yes. readers, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so this is this is a tricky one, because what we want to say is, how do we know? They, what are we using to measure that third grade level? When we say a student's reading at a third grade level, what does that mean? How are we how are we leveling that? What system are right, we using? <laughs> right. So that's when, whenever I hear that, that's always what I want to know. Like, how do you know it's a third grade level? What's being used to measure that? And when we say high decoder, what does that mean? And this is where I would want to see, can the student read nonsense words? Can they read single syllable nonsense words? Can they read multisyllabic nonsense words? What we know is we can memorize enough words as whole visual units to get to about a third or fourth grade reading level. And this child's in third grade. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know oh, that. That's yes. interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so oh. what, are, and what do we see? We see the third grade reading gap. Students. The fourth, yeah, yeah. Third yeah. grade reading gap. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't know mm-hmm. that. I'm, oh. Yeah. That. yeah. <laughs> so again, like we can store some words as whole visual memory in our, in our brain, just not very many. So it'll get us only so far. And so that's where we often start to see students fall off is third and fourth grade when, again, they've memorized a whole lot of words as visual units or they have strong comprehension and a lot of background knowledge and everything they're reading is something they can kind of predict or know what to expect with that language and the way the sentences are written in the background knowledge. And then all of a sudden we give them new content and multisyllabic words and words they've never seen before. And we say, yeah. What happened? No pictures. Exactly. And we're like, what happened? This student was a strong reader. No, they were actually missing foundational skills that didn't present itself until third or fourth grade. So especially with that comprehension, students that have high comprehension and background knowledge, they can look like readers. So if they have low, if they're struggling with phonemic awareness, I'm also going to ask what kind of spelling are we seeing with this student? You know, they That's mentioned like strong decoding and comprehension. Again, with spelling, that'll typically show up as if 
I've had so many people say, well, I have strong decoders, but they're struggling with spelling. Well, they're most likely struggling with phonemic awareness. So I, you're not going to become a fluent and automatic decoder of print if you're not phonemically aware. It's kind of what I said earlier. Like if a student cannot blend sounds through the air, they're not really applying these strategies to print. So my guess is this kiddo has a whole lot of words memorized as visual units. I would want to dig in a little bit deeper and find out, can they read nonsense words? Can they read words in isolation without context, without pictures and see what happens? Because most likely there's, there's a need there. That makes it from the teacher's perspective. I, it, it makes total sense in my head to, Oh, like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and why would I want to go back to a simpler, seemingly mm-hmm. simpler, you know, um, skill yeah. if they're doing well with these, what seem like harder skills, exactly. right? So, so it's like, it, it makes sense. But I, I think what you just said was beautiful, because, you know, it's, it's going to catch up. Exactly. And we want to catch it early <laughs> on, right? The earlier we yep. can stop this from happening, the better off our students are. The older they get, the more time that it takes, the more intensive our interventions need to be. So we want to try to just, again, what we do know is those skills are needed. Phonemic awareness, phonics, that application, that fluency, automaticity, you need those. That's, you know, I know the science, we say it's settled, but it's not really settled. There's the, you know, there's other fine tuning that needs to be done. But what doesn't need to be fine tuned is the fact that our language is based in, it's a morphophonemic language, but it's based in sounds. And this, the print that we see is representing sounds. And sometimes the spelling is informed by meaning and all of those pieces. But our students need to understand that, right? It's not natural to learn to read. It's not natural to learn to spell. And so we need that explicit instruction. So if we're recognizing students are missing it, we definitely want to dig a little bit deeper. We want to learn a little bit more to inform the type of instruction that the students need. Yeah. I was thinking that might be really deceiving being that teacher or being that parent who has that, you know, that child and thinking, oh, well, they're so far. (laughs) Yeah. And they actually need, like you think they need. Yeah. And mentioning the parents too. That's a really good point. And sometimes parents would be like, why are you sending this book home with my child? Like they can read, you know, up here. And it's really like that communication and that that collaboration with parents too, to understand the importance. I always say kindergarten, first and second grade are the trickiest grades to teach because we can have so many kiddos that, that fool us, that look like they have these skills because again, it's really not typically until third or fourth grade that we start to recognize that there's this missing piece because they can no longer compensate with those poor reading strategies. Um, Wiley Blevins in his book, um, Choosing and Using Decodable Text, he talks about a, a brain research study in 2015 with decodable text. And he talks about young learners who were memorizing words as whole visual units looked like they were off to a faster start. But those kiddos that were doing the hard work of decoding and sounding out phoneme by phoneme and blending and like that phonic decoding stage of reading that we need to honor, that's a little bit slow and a little bit labored, those students eventually surpass those whole word readers, right? Because they were applying the strategies that they needed to become decoders. And those other students started to rely on those poor reading strategies that we know are not effective. And it also answers that question, Marjorie, too, because because I taught sixth grade, you know, you get so many teachers who are like, why didn't yeah. they K one, two teacher do what they were supposed to do and teach these kids to read? And I think it's a really good point that like sometimes it's almost like, yes, hidden, right. Like they, 
that teachers, it looks like to the teachers that they know <laughs> exactly that they're doing well. Yeah. That's a really good, really good point. Yeah. Well, Marjorie, I'm wondering if there's anything you'd like our listeners to know about phonemic awareness that you haven't already so graciously shared today. Yeah. I mean, I think what we just want to remember is, especially as we think of our younger learners, that these are not optional skills, right? They are critical to developing readers and writers, and it really does enjoy a reciprocal relationship. So we want to make sure our students understand this connection that when we're teaching phonemic awareness, that we're showing our learners how that connects to reading, how that connects to spelling, so they understand the purpose behind it. And that this really truly is just a few minutes of your day, but it's a really powerful time in your day. Um, so it is going to set your students up for success. So it's just something to, to again, if you're, if you're struggling with pacing or the amount of time is really just kind of thinking about um, how often are we teaching it, right? If I only teach it on Monday and I only teach it on Friday, yes, my students aren't in that routine, but really building that routine so it can just be a very quickly paced opportunity for your students to, to be successful. And again, making sure they understand that connection to print. I was muted. Thank you so much for, for today. We're so grateful that you took some time to talk with us. Oh. <laughs> yeah, this is so fun to learn about. I was going to say, thank you for teaching us about phonemic oh. awareness. We appreciate thank it. Thank you for having me. I love <laughs> listening to you. So I'm excited that I get to be a guest. Yes. Thank you so much for all that you yeah. do for the literacy world. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Marjorie. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening, literacy lovers. To stay connected with us, sign up for our email list at literacypodcast.com. And to keep learning together, join the Melissa and Lori Love Literacy Podcast Facebook group and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. If this episode resonated with you, take a moment to share with a teacher friend or leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Just a quick reminder that the views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the Melissa and Lori Love Literacy Podcast are not necessarily the opinions of Great Minds PBC or its employees. We appreciate you so much, and we're so glad you're here to learn with us.